As, as you know, or may not know, we've been going over our purpose statement, which is pray. We have it over there too. Just remind you that we are here to pray. And I've been talking about each letter, and today we're down to the A. The P is to praise God, which is not worship, but to know Him so that we can praise Him. The R is to reveal God to the people around us, which is worship. And last couple Sundays I've, I've talked about how worship is, is not what we get out of it, it's what we put into it, and worship is our whole life. Worship is everything that we do, we do for God. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so today is, is the A, which is approach others for God, and the Y is yield, which we'll talk about later, not today, um, which is unity. So today I'm, I'm talking about approach others for God, and I want to start with um, my life at NNC, which is now NNU, and we were the Crusaders before we were the Nighthawks last year. This is the only NNC Crusader decal that I could find on the internet. All the rest of them have gone away. It's from the 40s. I was not there in the 40s. <laughs> I was there in the 70s and 80s. But I was at NNC. My freshman year at NNC, okay, this is how it works. I graduated in 1977. I told God I didn't want to go into the ministry, so I went to Phoenix, Arizona to DeVry Institute of Technology to become a computer designer in the 70s. Uh, it didn't work out. So I moved. I said, okay, God, you win. So I moved back to NNC in Nampa. The first place I went to for a job, it was in March, and I was going to start school in the fall. The first place I went to for a job, I said, we're not hiring. I said, I can fill out an application anyway. Went home for lunch, and I called and said, can you start at 2? So I kind of knew God had me going the right direction. So my freshman year, I lived off campus. My sophomore year, I moved on campus and got a roommate whose name shall be nameless. You don't know him, but his name will still be nameless. He was the pastor's son of my parents' church. And I figured we could get along. I found out we're not compatible. It's like water and oil. Us. When I knew it was going bad is when he would get up at 4.30 and start blow-drying his hair. And I just knew it wasn't going to work. Our room had a little sink in it, and you know, in the 70s, there wasn't all these outlets. The bathroom had no outlets. So I kicked him out of the room into the hall. And so at Christmas time, and that got him in trouble with everybody else. So at Christmas time, we decided to part ways. Because the, the semester was over at Christmas, so coming back from Christmas, I was going to a new room. We had both decided that separately and then came to the conclusion that's what we're going to do. But I had to find a roommate. And, uh, and in a different dorm. <clears throat> and so I was given a couple names. One name I was given, I will name him. His name's Larry Goodwin. I did not know who he was. He did not know who I was. He was a junior 
He was on the track team. He was a high jumper on the track team. But he had no roommate. And I had to approach Larry and say, Hey, would you like a roommate? Do you know what he asked me? Do you have a stereo? I said, yeah. He goes, okay. You can be a roommate. <laughs> it worked out great. We're still friends. Okay, we're friends on Facebook. I haven't talked to him in years. 25, well, maybe not quite 25 years, but um, we're still friends. We had a great rest of the year together. I will tell you, though, I was a little nervous approaching Larry to say, can I be your roommate? I won't go into all the antics that we did together, uh, it, but we had a great time. And, and it worked out really well. And all I had to do was, was build up my courage and go talk to him. The fear is we don't know how they're going to react. If I was Larry, I probably would have said no. But I had a stereo. He didn't. So he had to say yes. And it worked out well. In the book of Ruth, which we finished Ruth early in the week, like real early in the week, but I want to talk about Ruth a little bit. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, I'll give you the background a little bit. Um, Naomi, who was Ruth's mother-in-law, had there was a famine, so her, her husband, her two kids moved to Moab, which is on the east side of the Dead Sea. And, and Moab was descendants of Lot. But they moved to Moab, and the boys got married. Naomi's a husband died, and both of her sons died. And she was left with two daughter-in-laws. One of them was Ruth. And Naomi said, I'm going back to my people. She'd heard that the famine was over. I'm going back to my people. You go back to your people and find husbands. And one daughter-in-law did that, and Ruth said, I'm going with you. Uh, to the point of only death will separate us, and may God deal with me so severely if I don't follow through on this pledge. So they went back. And it was around the Bethlehem area that, that they went back to. So Ruth 3, 1 through 8 says this, One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have, been, you have worked, is a relative of ours. So what Ruth was doing was, when it says, with whose women you have worked, she was going to the field, and the guys would be out there harvesting the grain. They'd cut it down and put it in, in sheaths. And then there'd be ladies that would follow along and, and pick up whatever was scattered. And one of the things that Moses had told their people is, leave some grain for the poor to be able to come and get it. So Ruth was there picking up grain. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the thrashing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. When you go down to the thrashing floor, then go down to the thrashing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. 
When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the thrashing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz was finished eating and drinking was in good spirit, he went over and lay down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Then it started with verse with 7 again, because I want to point that out. So I'll back it up. When Boaz was finished eating and drinking, he went uh, and was in good spirits. He went and laid down, and it says, Ruth approached. Ruth approached. Have you ever been approached and wondered, why is this person even talking to me? It, the, the whole story is, if you read the, the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, is Ruth and Boaz end up getting married, and, and Ruth became um, King David's grandma. Isn't that cool? And the interesting thing about Boaz, if you read in Matthew, which we read several months ago, the genealogy of Jesus, Boaz's mom was named Rahab. Do you remember her? She was the prostitute in Jericho that hid the, that hid the spies. And so she got, and her family got saved. What an ancestry, huh? So here's, here's Ruth, who's not an Israelite, but she's a Moabite, cousins. But they weren't always on friendly terms, cousins, even though they had, they had an agreement not to destroy each other. But Ruth had to approach Boaz. I don't know about you. If I was Ruth, I'd be nervous approaching Boaz. And his response was, well, there's somebody that, uh, closer that you should be talking to. But if he doesn't redeem you, I will redeem you. Because Boaz was known as a family redeemer. And, and so if he doesn't redeem you, I will redeem you. The family redeemer was to make sure the family was in good shape. If the family is losing property, the Redeemer would come and buy that property to keep it in the family. And that began this night. Well, they had, you know, if you haven't read Ruth, you should read Ruth. It's only four chapters long. About how they hurt and Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz, according to the book of Ruth, is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He really looked out for her. And his employees even said, God bless you which means he must have been a good boss. Had to approach. She had to approach. And had to approach him. Our missionary last Sunday put up, uh, he, he told the story about Mother Teresa. And he put up this quote. God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. I really like that one. When I was in college, I had to read a book for one of my theology classes. 
uh, it was a book. It was on the book of Acts, and that was the main theme of the book. God didn't call you to be successful; He called you to be faithful. And our missionary last week talked about Mother Teresa and her call to faith. And and then he went on to say, so if you weren't here last week, you get to hear what he had to say. He went, he went on to say, when we run from success, this happens. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, which says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godlessness that denies its power. Denying its power. That's when you run after success, is what he said last week. Did I miss? No, I got it all. Okay. He also said when we do it God's way, it turns out right and well, even though it may not be successful. First, First Kings 2.3 is the scripture that he gave us which says and obeying what the Lord your God requires walking obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go sounds a lot like this scripture doesn't it Mark 12 29-31 hear O Israel here the Lord your God is one I'm not, just didn't give you that translation. And, and then it says, love, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. When we follow God, we may not look successful as the world sees, like Jesus wasn't considered successful. He came and, and there were people that thought he was going to make the Jewish empire the rulers of the world again. He didn't do that. He came and glorified God and died on the cross for our sins. Which made him the ruler of the world, but not like he was expected, so he was considered to be a failure. But back to approaching. Someone has to go. Someone has to do it. Remember, I didn't learn this in school, but I'm sure some of you did. The, the poem, The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. Do you remember that? Can I give you some information about Paul Revere? He was only one of five that went. One of five. There was one guy that, that did almost 400 miles in six days. He'd ride his horses to death. And they get another horse and go. But the most interesting one is a 16-year-old girl named Sybil Lundington. 16 years old was one of the five that was racing through the night, hollering that the British are coming, get ready. Actually, they were hollering, you know, 
bare arms and letting people know. One of them was a 16-year-old girl. Her dad was a colonel in the army, and she got sent probably by dad. But she went. And she was, they, if, if those five people hadn't gone five different directions, they may not have been ready at that time. And we have to go. I'm not telling you how to go this week, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But I, I'm trying to tell us that you have to go. Remember Isaiah chapter 6. We haven't read it yet. As the, I keep saying that. Let me make this really clear. We, as a church, for those of you that don't know, are reading through the Bible together in two years. We are 10 months into it, starting our 11th month. So December 31st, we'll be halfway through the Bible, reading it together. We're not reading Isaiah till next year. But by December 31st, 2019, we'll have read the Bible completely through as a church. And that's why I keep saying we haven't read that yet. But you can skip to it and read it anytime you want, if you'd like. Um, you can read ahead, you can read behind. The goal is that we read the Bible and that we allow God's Word to wash over us and cleanse us and show us who God really is. That's the goal of it. So in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was in the temple doing his priestly duties, and the temple was filled with God's glory, it says, and it says that the posts were shaking, and that the train of God's robe filled the temple. And there were... Angels who were, had six wings, two covered their faces and two covered their feet, and two they flew. And when they spoke, it shook. And Isaiah said, Woe to me, at the start of chapter 6. I am an unclean man of unclean people. And then we get to verse 8, and this is the one. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. He said, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And then there was a longer list uh, of what Isaiah was supposed to tell. And Isaiah went on to tell, as you read the book, about Jesus and about how Jesus was going to come and what would happen to Jesus, how he'd be crucified, and just told lots of things. But look at that, verse 8. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. My challenge to you is, be that guy. Be that guy that God says, who do I send? And we just say, here, I'll go. That's one of our goal, one of my goals for our church with the approach is us go to people and tell them about the great love of Jesus Christ. It sounds pretty daunting, doesn't it? And probably the first thing that goes through your mind, you know, I've told you that my parents... Um, were in Times Square for six months 
working at the Nazarene Church that was right in Times Square. And one of the things that the church did, they provided places for street preachers to put their soapboxes or their boxes that they stood on. And um, some of them had sound systems, some of them had those um, boards, you know, that they could just sit on the sidewalk that would say things. And, and these street preachers would go out on the street, stand on their boxes, and preach as people walked by. I can't do that. And I, when I read this scripture, one of the first things that goes through my mind is that person. I can't do that. My bet is you can't either. But here's what we can do. We can go to the person right next to us. And we can help them out. We can take, as a lot of you have, food to people that need food given. We can share with our family about God's love. And we can live in such a way that people will say, what is different about you? We can do that. So we can say, here I am, send me. There's a a story about uh, a lady that she, she was pretty well off. She had a neighbor that didn't look so well off. And, and she heard the message about, oh, we should go tell, you know, let your neighbors know about God. And this neighbor started coming to church. And all of a sudden she started seeing new people in church, like her hairdresser, uh, the mechanic that worked on her car, um, the receptionist at the doctor's office, the grocery store clerk. She started seeing these people in church. And, and she said to them, I know you. And they would say who they were. And then they would say that, that Joe invited them to church. Joe was her neighbor that she'd invited to church. So we start close. We just start close. I say family. And sometimes we have to repent and change our ways because... Who knows us best and worst but our families. And, and sometimes we just have to remind them how much we love them and how much God loves them. And hey, do you want to come? See, the reason that we did last Wednesday night at, at Keeley and Mark's house was to let the community know that our church cares about them. We passed out candy. We're saying 339 people because that's what Tracy and Dwayne said they had at their house. And Tracy counts everybody. She knows how many people could. So that's what we're saying. And we had a great time there. I stood out in the rain and talked to everybody as they came by. Um, Tilly was passing out candy. Lynn and Keely and Mark and Catlin were playing games with the kids. We had hot chocolate. And we just stood there and talked. That's the first step. The, the preschool kids came by, they would look at me and go, where's Lynn? I would say, she's over there. Actually, they said, where's Miss Lynn? And I'd say, she's over there. Then they'd see Keely. Keely makes great chili, by the way. And I appreciate you letting us use your house. 
And we had a banner up that says, this is provided by the John Day Church of the Nazarene, just so people knew that we cared about them. We also have Thanksgiving coming in two weeks, the dinner. Invite somebody. Who can turn down a good turkey dinner? Somebody can, but it's okay to invite people to that. And you also know that Christmas is coming. On December the 11th is the preschool program. Come and be a part of that. December the 16th in the evening is the children's program. Come and be a part of that. Invite people to come and watch what our kids are doing. They're downstairs practicing right now. And then December the 23rd is the the last Sunday of the Advent season. And it's the Sunday before Christmas where people did sign up to sing with our praise team on that Sunday. Come and be a part of that. Invite people. People will be coming to visit you. It's Christmas season and our evening, our, our Christmas Eve service. All those are, are provided not just so that we can say we did it. It's so that you have opportunities to invite people to come and hear about the love of Jesus Christ. We have to approach. The only way you got saved is because somebody approached you and told you, you need to know Jesus. They may not have said it that way, but they made it, might have been the lady next door that picked you up every Sunday and brought you to church. It might have been your parents that brought you every Sunday to church. We live 25 miles from church, and my dad's job, it seemed, was to unlock the door and lock the door. We were there forever. But that's okay. And my parents would pick up. We had... You've seen Greg's Econoline pickup. We had the Econoline van. And, and we would pick up about 20 kids in that van. They didn't believe in seat belts at that time. Yeah, because there was this much room behind the seat. Guess where the five Johnson kids stood? Behind the seat as we went to church and picked up oodles of kids. That's how you got saved. A neighbor might have said, or a co-worker might have said, or your life was just down in the dumps and you needed somebody to talk to and they told you about Jesus. That's how you got saved. Very few of us just showed up at church one day and found Jesus. Very few. And because of the great love God's had for us and the love that other people have had for us, we can share that love with other people. And if they don't get saved the first time or don't come the first time you ask, you don't have to feel bad. Because two district assemblies ago, Pastor Scott was talking about sowing the seed, casting the soil, the seed out on good soil, bad soil, thistle soil, and, and how the, the sower just abandoned with abandonment threw the seed out. Wherever it landed, it landed. And he said it this way. You throw it out on everybody, even on hard hearts, because when that heart breaks, the seed will take root. Think about that. When the heart breaks, the seed will take root. So we do these things as a church so that we as individuals can invite people. Our preschool is for that purpose too. Our preschool 
is an outreach to our community. Because a majority of the kids down there come from families that don't go to church, don't know about Jesus. And if you want to see something, come some morning or afternoon and just stand out in the hall and listen to the songs that's being sung with the kids and the scripture that's being taught to the kids. And and how those four ladies down there really show God's love to those kids. They do a great job. We have the responsibility to go. And and then there's this scripture in Romans. Right there, Romans 10. 10 through 16, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he says this, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You confess it with your mouth that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, he's Lord of your life, and you are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We saw an example of that or heard an example of that. Uh, Two or three weeks ago there was a man here that was talking about suicide. And he had jumped off of the Golden Gate Bridge. He's one of 30 that have survived, and he's one of five that can actually walk. He was 19 years old. And on the way down, he realized he made a terrible mistake. And even when he hit the water, he knew he'd made a terrible mistake, and he was going down, and he said, God, save me. And then he tells how there was something he thought it was a shark that was pushing him up to the top. And it kept him afloat until the patrol boat got there to rescue him, and it was a sea lion. God saved him. I will say, I don't know where his relationship with God is, but anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, whether it's physically or spiritually. This man's was, he was saved. And anyone who calls on him will be saved. The next verse says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have an obligation to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to Grant County, to John Day, to the street that we live on, to the place that we work. We have that responsibility. But how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And just remember, if somebody hadn't brought the good news to you, you wouldn't know Jesus. And how great it is that we get to share. This scripture isn't up there, so... I'll misquote it completely. But Jesus said we're not supposed to store up treasures here on earth where it can be destroyed, stolen, rust, moths, everything else, but store up treasures in heaven. 
where nothing can destroy it. Do you know what the treasures in heaven are? I know I've said it before. I'll just remind you. It's you. When you get to heaven, the people that are in heaven that you know that have been a part of your life and instrumental in you getting there and you being instrumental in them getting there, that's the treasures. That's the treasures. And sometimes we wonder how that's going to happen, but it's something that we get to do. Store up treasures. The more friends and family we have there, the more beautiful it is. That's the crowns, the jewels in our crown. That's us getting to see our loved ones and to share God's love with others. So here's a video that probably explains it way better than I just did. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Kayla, you gotta see this. Look at this. Let me take some of the nerves away from you. Start by praying. Next week we'll have in your bulletin paper that you can write. You did this last year. Write down three names of people you're praying for. And pray, God, who do you want me to invite? Because God's already working on people's lives. He just wants to use you. So God, who do you want me to pray for? And then start praying for those people that you'll have an opportunity to share God, that you'll have an opportunity to invite them to some of the activities that we do, which are for the purpose of inviting people so that they can get to know Jesus too. And so the first step is to pray. So let's stand together and let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for how you've brought people into our lives that told us about you and how you were working in our lives as they were telling to come to you. Thank you for your saving grace. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to be used by you.
And I ask, Lord, that, that you will, as you say in Philippians chapter 2, work in us to desire to do the good works and have the strength to do the good works and help us to take that step to do the good works of telling others of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do ask that you lay on our hearts people that we should be praying for to invite. And Lord, if we don't know you personally or our relationship with you has gotten a little cold, can you renew that? Remind us again of your love and your grace and your mercy and help us to believe in our hearts and proclaim with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you will work in this community to prepare this community to come into your presence and to know you personally. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. Give us strength for the day. Help us to be an encouragement to the world. In your name I pray. Amen.